Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Maddie, for our kids, our kids' leaders. You guys are amazing. I love that when we say church is a family, um, what we're not saying is church it feels like a family or should be a family, but that that's how God sees it. That's what it is. There are things that call themselves churches that don't resemble a family at all. Um, just like you can buy something that resembles um, AirPods, but they were actually made um, cheaply and they're sold out of someone's trench coat and they're a tawdry knockoff. That doesn't make them AirPods, right? Well, what makes church church isn't that we call it church or that we collect money in the name of a 501c3 that doesn't have to disclose its finances, but rather that we do the life of the family of God. And as we've come out of the challenging times that um, hindered and changed so many of our lives, the purposing to rebuild church has, I think, had its best expression in the intentionality to rebuild family, getting to know one another, getting to know one another's kids. I mean, there are many that I met, re-met at the age of three whom I last engaged saw as an infant. And this is a totally different human. And so we're all kind of re-meeting each other because there's a, um, an extent to which we're all totally different humans after going through um, some fundamental shifts in culture and society and in our lives. So thank you for being the family of God. Thanks for being there and in signing up again and re-enlisting to be one another's spiritual family. I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can understand family. This is a way that I really love. And I have loved raising my family in the context of this church family. And I'm so grateful that many of you are doing that as well. And today is a great sort of symbol of that reality. As Pastor Lucy mentioned, we are closing out our series this morning called In My Feelings, not closing out our engagement of whole life transformation and emotional health. Really, this is the end of the beginning of calling us to a life of discipleship that follows Jesus and thus engages all of us as he would like to do. So we're going to continue this work in the life of our church in the months and years ahead. But alas, we're going to turn to a new subject next week, which is the book of Mark. We're going to study through that for the two months of June and July and talk about our value for the centrality of Scripture and how we embrace Scripture as central to our lives not only doing that, but looking at how that is done. That's going to be our work with the Gospel of Mark front and center for the summer. And I invite a bunch of you uh, to study along, all of you, uh, I hope, to study along with us as we walk through the book of Mark this summer. But this morning, uh, we have work to do to finish up this topic. So we're going to do that partly in presentation and then partly in discussion. So let's jump right in. Father, in Jesus' name, we give our focused attention to your word. Would you help us to receive you and remember that we search the word thinking it'll give us life, but that the word points to you. That's what you said, Jesus. So help us to meet you, to encounter you through your word, and we worship you with this intentionality. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, I have a, a shocking, true confession with which to begin this final installment in our series this morning. This is going to scandalize some of you, and it may make some of you need to leave the church. And I'm sorry for that. That would make me sad. I hope you don't. But I can't live a, a half-truth any longer. I need to come clean with you. 
I don't like the Enneagram. I know, I know. I know some of you are, are <gasps> having to take deep breaths or appalled. I'm telling you that, I feel the self-shame. It's like saying you didn't like yoga in 1997. People are like, what? It's like you violate some national ethic by not liking yoga in the late 90s. Or it's like in 2005 saying I don't like sushi. <laughs> Neanderthal, you don't like sushi? <laughs> Everyone likes sushi. You know, as everybody who lived not in California discovered sushi, then we like to look down on one another. Or it's like in 1988, not liking snowboarding. People are like, what? You don't like snowboarding? You know, it's just one of those things. Now, not to like the Enneagram is like politically incorrect. Like, I might as well tell you I like gluten. <laughs> so there, you're like, I cannot have a pastor who doesn't like the Enneagram and likes gluten. Look at me for crying out loud. I need all the gluten I can get. I don't like the Enneagram. I'm fine with you liking it. I have no judgment. See, he's leaving. Marshall is walking out in protest. I'm fine with you liking it, just like I'm fine with you liking snowboarding. That doesn't mean I want to do it. I, I haven't enjoyed the last six years of Enneagram shaming and condescension, though I'm sure there is some explanatory value in assigning a number to me. I've told people at different times when pressed against the wall for why I could possibly not like it and, and th uh, that I don't in enjoy being categorized according to a number and people are like, ah, you're this number then. What's the number that doesn't like being numbered? Four, okay, so I'm a four evidently because I don't like numbers. So here's what I decided. My daughter, when she came into high school and, and stepped into Americana, discovered the Enneagram and then discovered how, um, how tribalistic I, and, and prehistoric I am for not liking it, started trying to, to dad shame me into liking it. And so finally, she's like, dad, you are a number. You just need to accept that. It's not like whether you like it or not. I'm like, am I? She's like, so what number do you think you are? And I said, all right, honey, I was going to wait until you're older to tell you this. Here's the thing. Dad's a 10. She's like, dad, you can't be a 10. I'm like, oh? I'm like, honey, there's levels that you don't know about yet since you're only in high school. But dad's divergent. I'm factionless, but don't tell anybody or they'll put me in Enneagram prison. But I actually don't fit into one of your factions. I, I don't. I'm, I'm a 10. I don't know. And you, some of you are like, ha, ha, ha. Can we get on from bashing the Enneagram? I'm finding therapeutic value in this because this has been so impolitic for the last decade that you Enneagram enthusiasts have held me hostage. No. And so I'm just kidding. I'm glad that you find explanatory value for your soul and mine in it. I think that's wonderful. Um, the truth is, it's rooted in sort of a nonconformist streak. I don't like doing things that I'm told I have to like doing. Um, and I pro probably, to an unhealthy extent, I prefer things intuitive and organic rather than quite so linear and structured. Like, I like structure as much as the next guy, or at least I recognize the need for it. But given the choice, like, I don't journal. I know, there is the journaling, not liking journaling is like the Christian version of not liking the Enneagram. So I've just told you I like gluten, I don't like journaling, and I don't like the Enneagram. That's enough. Right there, I'm going to get a hate letter afterward. 
I, I mean, I probably should like journaling, and I do it on occasion, but I don't enjoy it because I like it to be less structured and more organic for me. I think you should like journaling. I think lots of other good Christians think you should like journaling, and that's almost as much as saying you should. I just don't, and it's probably a fault and a weakness, uh, but I, I prefer things that, I don't know, just flow more, in, more organic and more intuitive. That's partly my personality and, like I said, partly uh, uh, undoubtedly some immaturity lingering in my soul. The challenge with emotional health, with engaging our feelings, is that it doesn't happen so well organically. It only goes so far when we embrace it intuitively. There is a point after which, if we're going to sign on for the journey of whole life transformation, which I believe is what Jesus invites us to and what we value as a church enough to teach a series promulgating this value, engaging whole life transformation, then there is a point after which, if we're going to do this work, we have to do it on purpose. It takes intentionality. So that's our title this morning as we wrap up this topic. Sorry for offending all of the Enneagram enthusiasts. Can you see the sorrow, the grief that I feel? <laughs> Does anyone else agree with me or are you all looking at me with scorn? Okay. All right. There's something deep in all of us that wants to know we're not alone. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking, we went from the Old Testament, we looked at some of the patriarchs, then we, we checked in with Jesus for a couple weeks. Now we're going to listen to the Apostle Paul and what he has to say on this important subject of emotional health. We're in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. For they're hopelessly confused. Their minds full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame and live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But listen, that isn't what you learned about Christ. So here Paul goes on for the, the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, distinguishing demarking the way of this world from which we came to the way of Jesus and his kingdom into which we were reborn. And he says, remember, the world's way is like this. You learned a different way when you gave your life to Christ. And he summarizes this juxtaposition that happens for the next chapter and a half in Ephesians chapter 5 where he writes, because of this, because you came out of this and have learned a different way in Christ, therefore, do not become partners with them, with those from whom God has called you, with the world. That's not to say don't love the world, but don't entrust your soul to them. Don't become partners with them. The point I think Paul's getting at is, make no mistake about it. You came out of the world, and the world wants you back. It wants to re-assimilate you. The world and the God of this age, our ancient foe, the devil, they're not content to let you walk away. And so if the world and Satan can't have you, it at least wants to co-opt you. It invites you back constantly into a sort of partnership. 
as this verse suggests, where maybe we can tell ourselves we're not fully embracing the world again. We're not going headlong back into sin and depravity, but we can sort of keep one layer removed for the sake of appearances and partner with the world. Like we launder our money, you know, we don't launder our money, but a business might through a partnership turns into a stronghold, which turns into a return to the yoke of slavery. When the people of Israel were delivered from bondage in Egypt, a, a type, a picture of our deliverance from bondage to sin, God constantly warned the people not to go back to Egypt. Don't look back. Don't worship their gods. When you go into the land of Canaan, completely separate from and extinguish their idolatrous and evil practices. Don't partner with the world or that partnership will end up taking you farther than you want to go and costing you more than you want to pay and keeping you longer than you want to stay. That's the way our enemy works. In verse 8, here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul continues, for at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So now he's talking about what to do about that duality. Don't engage it, but instead oppose it. It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. They who would invite you back into a sort of partnership. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, and this is our key verse. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise but is wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We're just going to unpack these verses a little bit because I think this puts practical, road-ahead, actionable, objective guidance to the ideas of emotional health. He says in verse 15, look carefully then, how you walk. And what we're talking about here is intentionality. What we're talking about is what behavioral psychologists call self-regulation. Self-regulation is the intentionality to live out emotionally healthy patterns. It's taking a step beyond just believing in the importance of emotional health or wishing for it and establishing patterns of intentionality in order to live out emotional health. The truth is we don't heal and grow and live emotionally healthy lives because we believe in it, because we like a post with a pithy quote on it, or because we have good intentions and mean well. We live, heal, and grow into the full transformation of Christ and emotional health because we prioritize it. Because in short, we do it on purpose. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race, 
All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Therefore, run in such a way as to get the prize. Run not just to get the participation ribbon. Run to win. He says, look at me. I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I run with purpose and intentionality. In his classic work, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster wrote, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I love this idea. That's not to devalue intelligence or our gifts. God uses these things and gave them to us on purpose. But the greatest shortage he I think astutely observes in our society and in the church is people who are intentional, grounded, rooted, deep, substantial. The result of go with the flow living, to which I find myself personally tempted often, is over time shallowness. When we just go where the wind blows, we end up shallow. It seems freeing, this style of living, but it actually enslaves us subtly and counterintuitively. It enslaves us to whatever comes up. I read last week an article in the New York Times on the tragic and very serious epidemic of anxiety among American teenagers. And this very secular journalist identified the root cause of many, one root cause being the emergence as a social norm, a reality, not a choice or a preference or, you know, the fringe thing like the Dungeons and Dragons kids or the ones that, you know, wore black eye makeup and, and long trench coats and listened to Marilyn Manson, but the mainstream norm of social media among teens, the teens in whom we're observing th these tragic challenges are the ones, the first generation, who had screens in their hands at eight and only knew the social media era. And so social media, this journalist identified, leads to what kids call FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. I don't think that's new to this generation. It's just been fueled and weaponized. You know, my fear of missing out may always have been with me, but it's bounded by how much I know I could be missing out on right? There was a natural rhythm break when I was a kid that happened when you finished school and came home and you had your school friends. And unless you had a friend come home with you after school, there was a natural and healthy rhythm break and you would hang out with your, your play friends or your neighborhood friends, right? Maybe they don't go to school with you. Maybe they're a different age, but they're the ones that are there. And there's a, a social breather built in where I don't know what my school friends are all doing that evening and they don't know what I'm doing and it lets me just exhale and live. But now there is no off switch. 
Every team knows what every other team is doing at every moment and are constantly, understandably compelled to look. And so no matter how much fun I might be having or how meaningful the family dinner, I'm not doing what they're doing or what they're doing. So I'm paralyzed with this fear, this anxiety-producing fear that I might not be living the fullest and best version of this moment. And it creates this illusion that there is a full and best moment to be lived empirically that others are living and I'm missing. Well, just talking about that is enough to make me feel anxious. The, the journalist followed the sociological train to a loss, a societal loss of boundaries around what we do and what we could be doing, and thus a loss of intentionality. The best path seems to be meandering frenetically through whatever the good life looks like at this moment. And so identified our teenagers as victims of social pinball, bouncing around off of this and off of that and finding themselves emotionally ragged in the process. Self-regulation is God's prescription looking carefully then to how we walk. Not where we walk first, but how. And he goes on in verse 16 to say, making the best use of the time. So this is where it gets real practical. Thinking about all that we could do. What's the best use of this time? And I think what we can draw from this is that emotional health is seen. It's evidenced in how we structure our time. As much as in how we manage our emotions, I think we think that emotional health is most naturally evidenced in emotional maturity. But I think emotional maturity is begotten of days, weeks, even years of intentionality in how we structure our time. We see this in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 1. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. So Jesus has sprung onto the scene, and he's wowing everybody. He healed many. And in verse 35, very early the next morning, while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Well, Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus, and they found him, and they, they exclaimed, What are you doing? They exclaimed in the middle of his quiet time, Everyone's looking for you. Wanting Jesus to be subject to the tyranny of the moment, the demand. Wanting him to feel the fear of missing out, disappointing everyone. To which Jesus replied, you know what? Let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I came. See, with his choices of what to do with his time... And where to go in his space, Jesus modeled intentionality with boundaries around how much he would do this and ensuring that there would always be time to do that. These are the disciplines of emotional health. The late Dallas Willard, in his wonderful book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, observed, we can become like Christ by doing one thing following him in the overall style of life 
he chose for himself. Well, this intentionality toward boundaries, rhythms, this purposefulness that we see here, this is the way Jesus chose to live his life. And so to be a disciple is, as Dallas Willard pointed out, to model our ways after his. St. Benedict, centuries ago, coined a phrase that is the rule of life. And this is a subject that is foreign to many of us and just by naming the title causes many more of us to bristle because of the experiences perhaps distasteful or unhelpful that we've had with religion and its rules. That's not the sort of rule we're talking about. Lots of you know that uh, Pastor Daniel has spent the last decade of his life really diving deep into this area uh, of, of his life for himself. And I've learned a lot from you, as has our staff and our congregation. So as we wrap up this time, I'd like to invite you, if you would, just to join me. And we'll have a little conversation about this idea of the rule of life. This is taking a subject that is devotional and broad and funneling it down as we wrap it up here this morning to a very practical and um, doable set of, of, I don't want to say rules, but set of practices. Yeah. So could you give us just a little, here, you start talking, I'll bring our stools over. Thank you, Francisco. Just a little um, maybe background on, on what is meant by this concept and what is not meant by this concept of rule of life. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. I, I got I to gotta admit, first and foremost, it's so hard for me not to debate you on the Enneagram. I know, here. I know. Uh, <laughs> is that what you guys need to know about me and Rob? We work together for a long time now, and um, I'm a structure guy, and I'm an Enneagram guy, and he's not. And I love and, that about And we you. spend time together every day. <laughs> You know, and he's pushing me to be less structured, and I'm pushing him to be more structured every day. So, so it's amazing how God yeah, brings iron us together. Sharpening Absolutely, iron. we're a beautiful pair in that way. Um, yeah. So the rule of life, I think, is an amazing thing. But it, I understand how even even myself, as I began to study this years ago, there was this heaviness. Like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it was hard for me to get around the language of the rule of life because it it it, it kind of intrinsically invokes law. Right. It invokes like the inner demons of, of our past years of, of works righteousness or things like that. But really, that's not as hard. The, 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 the heart of it was derived um, by the monastic communities in right 312 B.C. Can I nerd out a little bit? I love history. Any history nerds in here? All right, good. Then you'll follow me. Everyone else, you can just wait. I'll come back. Um, so around that time when the monastic... Um, movement began to rise up, they began to develop this thing of a rule of life that then, as you said, was um, kind of popularized by um, St. Benedict and did probably the most uh, thorough treatment of it. But the idea in the heart of this really goes back to John chapter 15, where Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. Um, this idea that that word remain um, in the Greek literally means to make your home, to, mm. to make a residence with God. And so the early church fathers, as they begin to see the, the, the effects of culture um, affecting their, their expressions of their faith, secularizing, if you will, their, their faith, wanted to come up with a practical way to say, guys, we want to remain in God. We want to make our residence in him. And so they developed the rule of life. And it's important to say that it's rule, not rules. Um, and the difference between a rule and a law is this, that a rule is self-governed. 
It's, it's something that we put in our lives to regulate, like you said, our, 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 uh, and, and to live into our desires. And so at its heart, the rule of life is this. It's intentional rhythms and relationships that help you remain in Christ so that you will begin to experience um, and live into those deep desires and values that God has placed mm -hmm. in your heart. So and, it's a set yeah. of like structures. It's structures, yeah. And, and, and some are boundaries to keep some things from overtaking our lives, and some are more like priorities to keep the busyness of life from preempting those rhythms. Absolutely. The reality is we live in a day and age where structure is almost a bad thing. You know, it's, it's, we're told, you know, freedom, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, be who you are, you know, pursue what's in your heart. And these are not bad things, but too much freedom, as you pointed out, leads to anxiety. And I think as our culture has departed so much of even, you know, when I was a kid, Sabbath still existed in our right. culture. You couldn't go to the movie theater on, on, on Sunday. And, and while that got legalistic to a point, that pr created a structure that, that helps, helped us rest. And, and, and I think as we've abandoned structure and as we've gotten more self-driven, I think we're seeing anxiety um, increase. And I think even more so, we have values in our lives. I know you have values um, and desires in our hearts to live out, but we don't know how to integrate those values actually into our lives. So we live these separated lives where we have these values, but what we're living is very different. So these structures help us um, cultivate the rhythms and relationships so that we can remain in God and integrate those values um, on a more really practical level because this stuff can feel so heady. It can feel so like, man, I want to be emotionally healthy, but how do I yeah, do Yeah, where that? do I even begin? Yeah. Uh, I, and I love the discovery of, uh, my discovery of this ancient principle, ancient value for a rule of life to bring order out of swirl and to bring practical doability, if you will, to something that, that I've, I've signed up for in theory. I've subscribed to, but I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I want to just read this quote from Pete Scazzaro, whose work, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, we've engaged as a staff and we borrowed heavily from in this series. He says on this subject, the great buried gift in a rule of life is its goal of regulating our entire lives in such a way that we truly prefer the love of Christ above all things. So what we're talking about, I, I love the distinction you made between a rule in the ancient language and rules, which bristle many of us, especially in association with religion. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, an order or a regulation to our daily life. So we're going to put up a chart and just give some examples. This isn't a, um, a, in itself a set of rules, but examples of what a rule of life might contemplate. Think of four categories of our life. Maybe there are others that better describe your life. Maybe the stage of life you're in, two of these are really one. Um, our faith, our work, and that is whatever it is that takes most of our time. You know, that might be studying for finals right now. Uh, that might be your profession. That might be raising children or something else. Uh, generally, the realm of rest and then relationships. And so we're not going to have time to teach each of these, but we're going to name them. And then if you want to kind of color commentate and dive in deeper on a few that are either more subtle or maybe more important in your mind. Under faith, um, think of scripture, silence and solitude, prayer, and study as disciplines, spiritual disciplines that could be a part of a rule or a, 
an order of living under faith. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, having silence and solitude is an absolutely important one to that. That's maybe one that maybe you didn't grow up having, that maybe, you know, Scripture was there, prayer was there, studying was there. But in our day and age where we're um, overwhelmed with noise, um, both externally and internally, the need to learn how to to silence ourselves, to to be still so that we can hear the, the, the voice of the Lord leading us and speaking his love over us. I mean, as Pete Scazzaro said, that at the heart of this, is loving union with God. We want you to walk with life with God. And so um, if one of these, now these are a little harder because you shouldn't get rid of any of the ones in the faith category probably, right. but if a way of expressing it, maybe a way of expressing the study of Scripture, a way of expressing the prayer is not um, fault, um, uh, fostering that intimacy, that love with God, maybe there's a new way of praying, a new way of engaging his scripture that he's inviting you into. And so as we go through this, I think it's important to see that. And I think these categories, faith starting with that, speaks to that God is involved in the whole. You see, like, there is a faith category, but Jesus is in every yeah, boy, that's holistic a great space. So there's an integration uh, of our lives, and, and, and that's what whole life transformation refers to. Um, wanted to, to highlight that this was what we see in Jesus first in that Mark 1 passage where all of a sudden he's in demand. His lazy days of, of being an anonymous carpenter are over and they want him at every moment. And uh, he puts boundaries around some of these values so that they don't get squeezed out by the tyranny of the urgent. And all the more as people were pressing in on him, he would go away and find space to be alone with God in order to prioritize his time in scripture, his time in prayer. I've taken for myself a version of that. Mari and I typically observe Sabbath on Friday, and I've taken as a, an expression of silence and solitude to leaving my phone at home. And it's, it's almost unthinkable not to have our phone with us, but to have my phone with me is to be, for me anyway, responding to whatever pops up on it. And so I think, I don't know where the culture promise came when I signed on to it that I would respond to a text within a minute or five minutes or an hour, but I just do all that the next day. And it's been a a part of that rhythm for me that's been really life-giving. All right, let's look at the next column, work. This involves your occupation, but also your vocation. And and I want to differentiate those two in a sentence. Our occupation, for the sake of our our discussion, has to do with what you primarily do, like what you find yourself doing because it needs to be done or because it's what God and life has asked of you right now. Being in school, uh, doing your job, raising children, Etc. Those are probably the three primary occupations among us, but there are undoubtedly others. And then vocation very often is done in the context of, or at least overlaps with our occupation, but that's our calling, right? That's what we do as our reasonable act of service, as Scripture puts it. That's our responding to what God has asked of us and made us to do that may happen in the context of our occupation partly, and it may happen outside of that. Like I I think of JD, who we talked about last week and uh, is starting a group. JD's occupation is as an electrician, and your vocation is as a leader among men in the body of Christ right now. That's what God's called you to do. So JD undoubtedly lives Christ in the context of his occupation while doing his, his profession and also disciples men because God's called him to do that. So occupation and vocation 
our responsibilities, those are the things that, that need to get done. You know, that may be like doing the laundry or, or the dishes or whatever, and then uh, care for our own body, which is a, an extrapolation of responsibilities. Yeah. I think this one's a hard one to understand because some of that feels like externally required of you, right? I have to work my job. I have to like feed my kids. And I think what it's speaking to is, is bringing up this category so that you think intentionally and thoughtfully, what are the rhythms in, inside of these space? What are the relationships inside of these space that are going to cultivate a remaining in Christ? And so it's not just that you work, it's how you work. Mm-hmm. And what are the rhythms about my work? So for instance, one of mine with my work is I had to do a lot of meetings that are pretty tend to be fairly intense and require a lot of presence and emotional awareness. And so one of the things I, I do is I, I, I never stack meetings back to back. I always put, uh, try to put 15 minutes between those meetings. And the reason being is I need that time to, to decompress, to become aware of the Holy Spirit and aware of maybe what that last meeting brought up into me so I don't carry it into the next meeting. Mm-hmm. And so that's an example of like, it's not the, the, the rhythm or the, the rule here is not that you work or that you have an occupation. It's, it's how you're going to bring in the rhythms and relationships into that space um, so that you can cultivate the presence so and loving, loving union of God and lead out of that space and lead out of emotional health. Man, that's so good. Um, the first column, th- some of a rule of life might have been boundaries to ensure that those things don't get squeezed out. This column could also see a rule of life emerge to keep those things from taking over, in particular our occupation. Lots of us were raised by workaholics. It was in the water in our parents' generation. And uh, a rule of life might bound how I work and how much I work. There might be so much attached to my job or so much expectation or so much opportunity that I could work 100-hour days, uh, or weeks rather. And some of us have known people and maybe been the person that kind of wears that like a badge of honor. I work a 148-hour week. And I think not good for you. And so how much are you willing to give? That could be part of a rule of life. Okay, let's name the, the rest column Sabbath. Simplicity as a spiritual discipline. Recreation and, alas, fun. And I separated those because some of us live in Colorado and feel about our outdoor recreation the way I feel about the Enneagram. You're like, you know, hiking, hiking, hiking. Like, maybe recreation isn't your jam, but maybe you like scrapbooking. And I've decided you don't like hiking because every time I've tried to get you on a hike, you never show up. (laughs) You're besmirching me. I love hiking. Oh, my ankle hurts today. (laughs) I fell down the stairs, Brown. (laughs) I was battered. I'm clumsy. You okay? were. I have long I, I limbs. Saw, that I saw. I saw the wounds. It was. It was legit. I did. I. Maybe you don't like hiking because <laughs> you're afraid you're gonna fall. <laughs> Stop it. I like hiking. Okay, we're going hiking on Monday. Sorry, spiritual. I'm, tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Rest. Speak yeah, a wise this, one. This, this is a, a favorite category of mine, and I think is is one of the things that probably most of us are really bad at. Is, is creating rhythms of rest, of delight, of celebration. Most of our rest is, is like work, 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 busy, 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 collapse. And, and, and so much of what God wants to invite us into emotional health is not doing more. And I, I think that as soon as we say this and we have this chart immediately in you, you stress out a little bit. You go, oh, there's more I need to do mm-hmm. to be a good Christian. Yeah, right. And, and, and there's that feeling of like, oh. I knew, I, you know, I got to add more to my life when I already feel overwhelmed. But the reality is a good rule of life is not adding more. It's, it's simplifying your life and actually having less. 
and just prioritizing the things that are going to mm. help you um, be and live in that relationship and out of that relationship with God. And so rest is one of those. And work and rest go together because we we are modeled in the in, in the scriptures and by God this this uh, rhythm of working and then an invitation to rest and then working out of our rest. Um, yeah. That's what we that's we see how creation started. Um, that God created the earth and then He rested and then. Then he um, uh, made man, and man began uh, into the cultural mandate of work. And so this is what he's invited us to. Uh, simplicity is hugely part of that. If you're going to, to um, incorporate this in your life, you're going to have to learn how to simplify the way yeah. we live. And that's hard for all of us. Our lives are complex. They're full um, with so many good things. Um, and so it requires um, some uh, dying to some of the things that we love right. so that we can truly experience the life God has for us. I love and have learned this discipline, uh, spiritual discipline of simplicity later in my adult life. Uh, it's so freeing. It's the discipline of periodically taking inventory of our, our life, our soul, and our time, and then decluttering. And that's why this, this column doesn't just cram five things in a four-thing container, but it creates room by deprioritizing things that God isn't asking of us and aren't life-giving for us to make room for those that are. Lastly is relationships, and that involves the work, the specific work of emotional health, which might be seeking out professional care or intentional friendships in which we can continue in a safe and appropriate space to process the learning, healing, and growing of our hearts. Uh, then family, close friendships, you know, uh, within our community and then community uh, on a broad basis like we were talking about this morning. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, for all of this to work, it happens not alone. I mean, I think we think rural life and as an individualistic society, we think my rule, my thing. But the reality is rule of life happened in community. It started in the monastic community where you had these believers um, in living in communities that supported each other's rules of life. They supported each other's rhythms, and they lived in similar rhythms mm -hmm. that complemented one another. This is absolutely necessary if we're going to have a rule of life. We need others around us that are saying, hey, you value coming to church on Sunday and gathering with the believers? I value that. I will be there. I will mm -hmm. see you there. And as you, as you surround yourself with people that have similar rules of life, it, it, it propagates, if you will, um, this, the, this in your life so that you can keep to cultivate it. Because everything in the world is going to be wanting to pull away from simplicity, from family, from emotional health, from close friendships. I mean, how hard is that today in, in our, totally. our living our lives on social media and relationships that are this deep to have close, totally. intimate relationships? Yeah. So th this idea of a rule of life is, is a whole thing, as the kids say, right? Like, I mean, you're not going to hear this for the first time and go home and, and have enough to do that meaningfully. Our hope was to awaken the idea, perhaps refresh it if it's something that you've engaged, but it's been a while or haven't engaged fully. And then more than anything, to invite and inspire you. Um, if we want to know more and you yeah. want to, like, develop a rule of life and and Take a step this summer of, of practical, intentional growth. Uh, any suggestions? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the first place to start, and we're, we're going to send out this week in an email, and then you can check on our social media, is a podcast that has seven questions that helps you kind of develop your own rule of life. It should be something, while these are great suggestions, that should be um, developed out of your own desires, your deep desires and longings for God. And so, um, one, be looking for that as we send that out today and uh, this week. But the other thing is, the reality is you have a rule of life, whether you know it or not. It is... Um, informing and instructing the way you live. It is shaping you. And I think the first step is asking the question, what is my rule of life? What are the rhythms and relationships that I have already in place? And are they um, creating health? Are they creating union with God? Are they creating maybe further distraction? And so the first step is not necessarily creation, but it's it's recognizing Mm. what rules do I already live by in my life and writing that down and then deciding which one of those do you feel like God wants you to keep and which some of those do you need to simplify. And then and then I encourage you, uh, there's so many great resources and books out there on the rule of life, but I encourage you to just start with the, the podcast we send out. It'll help guide you in a series of questions so you can help develop that. But my biggest challenge, don't overcomplicate it. Start small. Start small. Maybe it's one rule of life. Maybe it's one step that you do this week or next week or for a month, you know, challenge yourself for a month. I'm going to practice Sabbath for a month. I'm going to practice a midweek stop um, where I take 30 minutes and I, I, I practice silence and solitude. Yeah. So just choose one of these categories and choose one thing to practice. Don't go and be like writing this master plan and be like, I'm going to kill this. All the Enneagram threes in the room be like, amen. Sorry, I just had to throw it out there. Um, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going <laughs> to knock the task off my list, I just encourage you, just take a baby step. What's that one area, that deep desire in your heart that God's right now saying, I want to invite you to cultivate that more in your life? Love that. Maybe that's, you know, over the years, Mari has been intentional with our family to say, you know what, we're not going to just work all the time that we could work every time the church's doors are open, we're not necessarily going to be there. We're not going to go out with, you know, our kids socially every time there's an invitation. We're going to have family dinners together. Maybe it's uh, for the families, hey, we're going to plan a time that we intentionally connect, or I'm going to plan a time where I actually get alone with God in His Word and, and seek to grow in Him. That's what we're going to talk about starting next week. The, the value we're going to turn our focus to is embracing the centrality of Scripture in our lives so that we can know Jesus and grow in Him. So I hope you'll join us for that. For now, it's time for us to go enjoy our Memorial Day weekend. Would you stand with us? Daniel, you want to pray a blessing over us as we go? Yeah, absolutely. Let's receive this. So open up your hands as I pray over you. God, I pray right now that this church congregation would have the grace to live, to remain, to reside in your presence, to walk and to work and to rest in you, Jesus, as they go, and that that would produce fruit of love, joy, peace in this world, in their life, and in their families. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you all for coming to worship together today in this special family service. Have an amazing holiday weekend. Enjoy celebrating with your friends and family, and we'll see you next Sunday.